Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, 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 man. It is so good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here. Hey, can I just have a moment of real honesty for all of the parents of littles? How many of you, the reason why you didn't really respond when Chris said, who's ready for Christmas? Because deep down inside you thought, I'm not ready. We are not ready. It'd be nice if Santa could give us maybe two more days. But by Christmas time, we will be ready. We had a little conversation in my house about that yesterday as we kind of freaked out about how much work we've got to do between now and then. But we will be ready by the time Christmas comes. It's amazing. Santa always finds a way to get it done, you know? So anyway, hey, I want to share something um, really exciting for you. If you remember, if you were here in January... Uh, We began January in a series that we called The Comeback. Um, That word comeback has been uh, kind of the word that we've been anchored to throughout the year. We've we've come back to this idea a couple times throughout the year. And what we did was we cast vision for what we believe that God was leading us into for 2021. We had three initiatives. Um, I know some of you have slept since then. Uh, So I'll remind you, we had three initiatives. The first initiative was uh, we wanted to cultivate more unity within our church. We talked about how in a world where there's so much that we can't control, we can control how we love one another. We did a host of things. Uh, We did Sunday socials on different Sundays. We did a worship night. We did a couple of other things throughout the year, all for the purpose of helping cultivate uh, a greater sense of unity amongst you and the person sitting in front of you and behind you, Um, because we want to be a church that, that knows each other and sees each other and loves each other. We also had an initiative of outreach, and we talked about in a world where there's so much we can't control, we can control how we love the world around us. And so we did a couple of things collectively as a church this year. We did Love KC. How many of you served at Love KC? You can make some noise. Noise is better than a hand. So how many of you served at Love KC? There we go. And uh, and that was amazing. Had an incredible time blessing several uh, organizations and people throughout the community. Um, And then we also did just two weeks ago, uh, our Christmas for the Northland Christmas outreach. How many of you served at Christmas for the Northland? Awesome. Um, and so, so we did that and, and all for the purpose of just trying to let the community know, hey, Discover Church is here um, and we love you. I mean, we don't want anything from the community, we want something for the community. Um, and so we did that. And the third thing that we talked about is um, in, in a world where there's so much we can't control, we can't control how we love the next generation. And we talked about uh, one of the things that we wanted to do this year was uh, we wanted to be able to add to our staff a full-time position where we can bring on uh, a student director um, to help us um, take what we're doing now, which is great with our student small group and, and, and work together with our folks and with our students and launch a student ministry. Um, and I'm really, really excited. And just in the nick of time, the Lord provided. Um, and I'm really excited. I wanna introduce you guys to the new addition to our Discover Church family, the new addition to our Discover Church staff family, Colin and Lydia Allen. Would you guys come on, come up? Yeah. And so we are excited to be adding them to our church family. As you can tell, Colin's a tall dude. And Brian is a tall dude. It was necessary that we hired another tall dude because Chris brought the average staff height down. 
And, uh, and so, um, but anyway, Colin is uh, going to be joining our team uh, after the first year is when he officially starts. Um, and this is an incredible and very impressive godly young couple that loves Jesus. Um, they've committed their life. Colin right now is working with City Union Mission. Lydia's working with, it's not Teen Challenge, is it? It is Teen Challenge. Working with Teen Challenge, working with um, at-risk teenagers. And man, they are just going to be such a blessing to our church, to the students in our church, to the students in our community. Um, Colin's also going to be helping us uh, working with our awesome comms team. And um, here's the deal. Nobody on staff really knows what we're doing when it comes to the website or social media. We really don't. Thankfully, we've got awesome volunteers who do, um, but they get frustrated sometimes when they're talking to us and you know, we're like a bunch of old cows staring at a new gate. And so um, Colin is going to be helping provide some leadership um, and just kind of bringing some a knowledge base to help us just get better uh, at what we're doing from a, from a staff perspective on how we're doing stuff online. And so listen, I'm so excited for you guys to join the team. I love you guys. I'm glad you guys are going to be here. Listen, would you do me a favor? Um, they're going to be standing right up here at the end of the service. Would y'all come say hi. Um, I'd love for you guys to meet them, for them to get a chance to meet you. And then mark your calendar, Sunday the 16th, we're gonna do a Q&A for all the parents, um, get to know Colin and Lydia, ask some questions and, and that kind of stuff, all right? So we'll send you some more details about that. But listen, we love you guys. Glad to have you as a part of the family and can't wait to get rolling, all right? Awesome, love you guys. Lydia, love you, girl. All right. Y'all, how many of you have ever had a crazy bad dream? I had one of the most awful dreams I've ever had in my entire life this last week. I had a dream that I was in the backyard doing some yard work and my dad, the bad dream starts there doing yard work. My dad was in the back and he was helping me and I had to go around to the front of the house to get something. My dad had a a hard rake. That's gonna be important in a minute. Just remember that. And so I come back around I turned the corner of the house going back to the backyard and I see this massive snake. Listen, I don't like snakes. I like snakes a bit. And I turn around and I'm like, dad, dad, come here, bring the rake, right? And at this point, it's more like an alarmed feeling. It's not really a panic freak out feeling. By the time I turn back around, the snake turns out to be like the largest cobra in the history of the world. I mean, it was like, if you remember the scene from Aladdin at the end of it, it was like that when Jafar turns into the cobra, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't, and I don't know what to tell you. And so like, I'm like, dad, 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 get over here. I need your help. I don't, ha- I don't have anything. I don't ha- I have, I have empty hands. I have nothing. And so my dad comes over. My dad brings the hard rake over and he comes over and he smacks the cobra in the head right? Because that's what you do. Like in my house, the only good snake is a dead snake. No matter what kind of snake it is, the only way it's good is when it's graveyard dead. So my dad comes over, brings a hard ring, smacks the cobra. Instead of doing what I've seen happen so many times where you smack the snake and it kind of stops moving and it wriggles a little bit and then you, then you get the shovel and chop its head off. Instead of doing that, that cobra reared up and fanned its neck out like this. And that dude was 30 feet long. And it is, it is now like squaring up to my dad like a boxer would in a fight. And I panicked. I'm like, dad, watch out, dad, watch out. And dad's like, my, see what you have to know about my dad, my dad's a big bad Marine, right? And so 
he's good. He goes, I'm fine, son. I'm fine. He's got the hard rake and he's backing up, you know, he's trying to, you know, figure out what to do. And he takes a swing at the cobra and misses, takes another swing at the cobra and misses. And then the cobra starts to come in and strike at him. It's about this time that my children in my dream come around the corner. And that's when the panic, freak out, ugly cry, scream, yell, horror movie style starts happening. And I'm screaming at my kids, get back, get back, go away, go back to the front of the house. And my kids, God love them, do what kids so often do. My oldest two kind of stopped in their tracks. They didn't do nothing. They just kind of stopped and stood and stared. My youngest gunner goes, what? What'd you say, dad? And I'm like... Y'all, when I tell you, like I am, in my dream, I am screaming bloody murder. Get back, get back, go away, go away, go back to the front of the house, go away, this thing's gonna kill you, go away. My dad is completely unfazed. He's still fighting with the snake, trying to hit the snake. And all of a sudden I realized like, man, I've gotta do something. About the time I realized that I need to go do something and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go get my shotgun. Yeah, 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 I'm gonna go get my shotgun. And right when I take my first step to go get the shotgun, I look at the snake and my dad again and the snake strikes and hits my dad. And as soon as the snake pulls back, blood like squirts out. You are laughing at my misery. In the time it took me to get to get to the side of the house, the snake has now struck my dad four or five times and blood is just squirting out of him. And I'm panicked. I'm like, he's gonna die, he's gonna die. It's all my fault. Why didn't I go get my shotgun sooner? What's the matter with me? I turn one more time and my dad is standing still. He's got the rake, but he's doubled over like this and the snake is drawing back to hit one more time. I turn the corner and I get to the front door and I get to the front door and I think, I don't even know where my shotgun is. I'm gonna have to get my pistol. I'm not gonna be able to hit that thing with my pistol. Right as I open the door and I start to go up the stairs, Jessica wakes me up from my dream. And I wake up and I kid you not, it was one of those dreams where, where I woke up, I was like, no, 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 oh, ah. Oh, thank God. Oh, that was just a dream. You ever had a dream like that? Anybody? Maybe not the cobra and the rake and the dad and the bleeding and the guts and the, but like a dream that you woke up from in a panic. Listen, here's the reason why I believe that this is appropriate for us. Because the way that I felt in my dream is the way that I believe a lot of believers are in life. You're in a fight, you're in a conflict and you need to reach for something to defend yourself and you've got nothing. Today, as we wrap up our Fighting Blind series, I want to close our series with a message that I believe is gonna be so practical and so helpful that if you will use this, I believe you will position yourself to experience more victory in your life than what you currently do. And that's the underlying theme of this entire series, that I want you to experience more victory in the fights of life because you don't have to go into the fights blind, and you don't have to go into the fights unequipped to be able to fight them. I've titled the message today, Uncommon Weapons. 
Because the weapons that we use, the weapons that we have available to us as we live as followers of Jesus are different than the things that you would use in a street fight. The things that are different than what you would use in a boardroom. There are things that are different than what you would probably use in a point of conflict with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents. But they are weapons that we can use, spiritual weapons that will help us. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're gonna see where Paul is going to help us begin to understand these uncommon weapons that we have. He's gonna begin to paint a picture today of how we approach the fights of life. And to give a little context as you turn there, Paul is specifically addressing conflict that he has with false teachers that are proclaiming to be godly, but are teaching a message that doesn't match up with the truths of God's word. And so he is at odds with these people. He is having conflict with them. And he writes for us a little bit here about how we can see that spiritual battles can't be won using physical weapons. All right. So if you're with me, let me hear you say when. Here we go. Second Corinthians 10 verse three says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical or fleshly, but mighty in God. Notice the contrast between physical weapons and mighty weapons. That's gonna be significant for us. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. He's specifically in reference to a a, a pagan temple that's on the top of the hill in Corinth. And he's saying the weapons that we have can pull down the strongholds, the fortified walls of things that, that stand in opposition to God. In verse five, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what he's mentioning here are these weapons that we have. If you remember all the way back in week one, we talked about this idea that everything is spiritual. If you miss, you're gonna have to go back and watch it. But everything is spiritual and physical weapons don't work in a spiritual fight. And so what he's talking about are the weapons of our warfare. As we go through every single point of conflict in any situation that we find ourselves in, it is never, ever, ever just physical. There's always a spiritual component to it. And if it's true that there's always a spiritual component to it, then we need to understand what the weapons are that God has made available to us so that we can win in the fights of life. And I wanna share with you three weapons. Now, here's the deal. These three weapons that God has given us in his word um, are really interesting. In my uh, 20 plus years of being a follower of Jesus and my 15 years in ministry, I have found that a lot of people are familiar with the first weapon that I'm going to share with you. A few people are familiar with the second weapon that I'm going to share with you. And when it comes to the third weapon, it is either unacknowledged or ignored as a weapon that God has given us, but it 100% is, and I will help you see that when we get there. Let's jump over to Ephesians chapter six. If you wanna jump there, you can. Um, If not, I'll have the verses on the screen. We spent the whole first week preaching through this this passage of scripture where it's talking about the armor of God. And I'm not gonna go through all of it again. I wanna jump right to the very end. In the second half of Ephesians chapter six, verse uh, 17, and it says this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, this is weapon number one in the arsenal of a follower of Jesus. It is the word of God. 
And God's word is one of the best weapons that we have to endure the fights of life. And what's so cool about the word of God is it is like a, uh, it's kind of like a, um, like a leatherman, like a multi-tool, like a Swiss army knife. It has multiple applications. Today, I want to share two of them with you. The first application, the first function of God's word is that God's word is useful for training for the fight. Now, if you're familiar at all, if you care at all, if you pay attention at all to boxing or UFC, one of the things that you will come across is, is that fighters will oftentimes talk about camp. They'll refer to it as their fight camp. And what fight camp is, it's, um, it's kind of a time of, of quarantine, if you will, for, for six, seven, eight weeks leading up to their big fight. And what they do is, is they go into a training mode of full-on preparation for their fight. They spend some time training their mind and studying film and looking for tendencies. They also spend some time uh, working on their technique. But most of what they do during this time is they are preparing their bodies to go to battle. They'll spend some time working on their strength, building up their their physical strength and their, their strength endurance. They'll also spend time working on their cardiovascular capacity and putting themselves through impossible and grueling and painful workouts, all because what they don't want to have happen when they get into the ring, into the fight, they don't want their lack of work ethic, their laziness to be the reason why they ran out of gas in the fight and their opponent was able to keep on going. That's why they do this. So they, they train. And there's so much practical application for us as followers of Jesus that if we want to win in the fights of life, we have to learn how to train ourselves. And the process of training isn't necessarily about training our physical body, although that might be part of it. But the focal point of our training needs to be on our spiritual body, on our soul. Because if we do not train our spiritual selves, if we do not train our soul, then what will happen when we get into the fights of life is that our physical bodies, which are weak, remember how we talked about how the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not not physical, but the weapons that we have are mighty in God. You see, our physical selves are completely weak and incapable of winning victories in the fights of life. So we have to learn how to train our soul. How do we do this? Paul talked about this, jumping over to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, what he's talking about here is he's referring to something that his original audience would have known full well, the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were kind of like the Olympics um, in, in, the, in the world of Corinth. And, um, and, and it was a, the, the ultimate uh, uh, competition at the end of it was a long run of an endurance race. And so he's saying, listen, all of you know that everybody who, who, who enters into the Isthmian Games, they all run. But how many of them win the prize? One. So if only one wins the prize, then they better run in such a way that they may obtain it. Notice what he says next, verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, and they do it to obtain a perishable crown. The the winner of the Isthmian Games would get a, a crown that was molded out of dried out celery, wild celery plants, and it would be formed and molded into a circle, and the winner would wear it as a crown on his head. That was the gold medal of the Isthmian Games. 
And what Paul is saying is, is that all of these runners, all of these people who race, they're all training, they're all preparing, trying to win their race. And when they win the race, that what they win is a perishable crown. What they win is something that's gonna dry, it's gonna become brittle, it's gonna fall away, it's gonna die, and it's gonna go away, and they're not gonna have anything to show for it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then the race that you run is not to be won for a perishable crown, but the race that you run, if you run it well, you will receive an imperishable crown. He's referring to crowns and rewards that God has reserved for us in heaven for our faithfulness and following and living for him. He goes on to say in verse 26, therefore I run. So now he's referring to himself, not as someone who's competing in the Isthmian games. He's referring to himself as somebody, as a follower of Jesus. He would go on to say that I've run the race, I've finished the faith, I've kept, I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. And so he's using this running analogy and he's referring to it in the spiritual context. He says, but I run not with uncertainty. I don't know, it's, it, I'm, not, I'm not uncertain about what I'm running for. I know what I'm running for. My reward is not to be found on this earth with any promotion, with any accolades, with becoming an influencer, with getting likes or popularity or becoming a celebrity pastor. None of those things. That's not what I'm running for. I don't have it twisted. I know that what I'm running for ultimately is the reward that I can only receive from my father in heaven when I get there. He says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So he's saying, so I'm, I'm running the race and I'm fighting and I'm not just swinging willy nilly and I'm not just, you know, fighting blind. He goes, I'm not doing that. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. He's saying my physical body, my carnal body, which is ineffective in the spiritual fights of life. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now here's what he's trying to see. There's an inference here that he's making. If he becomes disqualified because he's not disciplined his body, if he has become disqualified to do what God has wired and created him to do, which is to preach the word, which is to start churches, which is to make disciples, then he would be disqualified from winning the award, the reward, the victor's crown that God has for him in heaven. And so what he's doing, he's making comparison that if I don't discipline myself now, I will become disqualified from the thing God has called me and wired me and created me to do. And if I become disqualified, then I will not have the crown that I'm running for, that I'm fighting for when I get there. You see, what Paul is trying to help us understand is the need for us to discipline ourselves, to discipline our bodies, to discipline our lives for the fights of life. Unlike a professional fighter, you are not going to have weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to prepare for every single conflict that you are going to be in in life. A fighter has the advantage of knowing who they're fighting, when they're fighting, and they can map out an entire game plan in order to prepare themselves to be able to win that fight. But in life, that's not how it works. You see, in life, you're probably almost never gonna have time to get ready 
for a fight. Therefore, you need to learn the discipline of disciplining yourselves with the word of God, looking at God's word, aligning yourself to God's word, anywhere in God's word where God says that you are misaligned, any area of your life that that God says is not on track with his best for your life, then that's an area that you need to bring into subjection. It's an area you need to bring into discipline. It's like a fighter, like I need to get rid of some of the donuts and the pizza and the carbs and the beer and the things because I am disciplining myself so that I can win the fight. And what God wants us to understand that because you won't have time to get ready, then you're going to have to figure out how to stay ready. And the only way that you can stay ready, the only way that you can stay fit for the fight is if you discipline yourself with the word. Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about beating yourself over the head with the Bible. All right, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about aligning your life to God's word. And what happens is, is when you align yourself to God's word, then the Holy Spirit comes as your trainer and he will, he will use the word of God to bring revelation of things in your life that aren't right. And the Holy Spirit, like a fight coach, like a trainer, like, like Mick Taraki, will coach you, will lead you, will train you, will point out the flaws and the weaknesses in your fight game and will train you if you will follow him to help you be fitter and stronger and ready for the fight. But not only is God's word a used for training in the fight, God's word is also effective for a weapon in the fight. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's everything that he wants to do. He will always, always, always show up at unexpected, inopportune moments, and he will attack you. And here's how, his, here's how it works. Satan has a one-two punch that has never changed all the way back from the Garden of Eden, that he will always attract through lust. He will put things in front of you that your physical self desires and wants that sometimes Sometimes might align with God's word and sometimes won't. Not everything that, that, that is attractive and desirable to you is sinful, but not everything is profitable for you either. And so he will attract through lust. And once he gets your eyes off of Jesus and onto this thing and onto him, then he will attack through lies. He'll lure you away and then he will attack you with his lies. But God has told us in his word, In John chapter 17 and verse 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth for your word is truth. What Jesus is saying here when he talks about this is he's trying to help us understand that the only way that you and I can ever be successful, we can ever win against the strategies, the attacks and the schemes of the devil is for us to learn to be very comfortable and confident, holding on tightly to the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And when you become comfortable, when you learn how to wield the weapon that is the word of God, then you will learn how to begin to use it in some of the fights of life. I wanna give you just a couple of examples of how this works. Now listen, I, I, I listed off probably 20 examples in my, in my message prep this week and I don't have time to go through all of them. I wanna give some examples about how God's word is useful in the practical everyday conflicts of life. Let's assume, and this probably never happens for you, but if you're married, this never happens for you. It only happens in my house. If you are in a fight with your spouse, Thank you. I'm the only one. (laughs) Jess, we're killing it, babe. I mean, we're just, bless the Lord, we're the only ones fighting. All right. 
You're in conflict with your spouse. And then you have God's word hidden in your heart. Mark chapter 10, verse eight, and it says, the two shall become one flesh and they shall no longer be two, but one flesh. What that means is, baby, I'm not fighting against you. I don't wanna fight with you. I wanna fight for you. I don't wanna fight in such a way that we turn and face each other like this. I wanna fight in such a way that we can stand back to back, shoulder to shoulder and face the world because we're fighting together, not against each other. Let's take, for example, again, this probably never happens to you. You probably have the greatest boss in the history of bosses. But if perhaps you have a boss that is not awesome, and I'm sure none of them go to church here, your boss is terrible, no good, awful, you hate working for that, for that woman, you just can't, mm-mm, not gonna do it. And your attitude begins up adding to the conflict and adding to the problem. But if you've hidden God's word in your heart, you can remember Colossians 3 when it says bond servants or employees obey in all things your masters or your boss according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing not your boss, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You see, when you have this word hidden in your heart, then what you can say is, listen, my boss may suck. My boss may be terrible, but I'm not working to please them anyway. All of my work and all of my effort and everything I do is for the glory of my King Jesus. And I'm gonna work in such a way that his name is elevated, that his name is glorified. I'm gonna work in such a way that my boss and my boss's boss and their boss and my coworkers and anybody that I lead could look at me and go, man, something's different about the way that she approaches her work. And when you serve and you work in such a way that you're not just trying to appease your boss, but you're trying to glorify your king, then who cares if your boss is elevated because that's not what you were doing it for anyway. What about when you're in a situation? When you feel like you're being attacked, you're holding on to God's word, you're holding on to godly biblical standards and and the culture just continues to shift and shift and shift and you continue to stand strong on God's truth that has never changed and it never will. And people begin to point at you and attack you and and, and call you narrow-minded and closed-minded. Sometimes they might even call you old school because you still believe that God's word is true and that God's word hasn't changed about any one of the many social cultural things that the society and the culture has tried to distort and pervert and shift and change away from God's standard. You're probably gonna be attacked for that. But if you are, and if you've hid Matthew chapter seven, verse 14, you would remember that the narrow, that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are very few who find it. So if I'm standing closed-minded on the narrow path, I'm all right. And I can stand on the whole counsel of God's word. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be rude. I'm not gonna be mean. I'm not gonna be vengeful or spiteful as I stand on God's word, as I stand on God's truth. But the last I read, it's the narrow way and it's the narrow gate that seems kind of closed to all the things that the culture wants to force through it. And if I'm on that road and I've gone through that gate, you can call me narrow-minded if I want to. I still love you. Or what about, what about when those moments when you feel like you're caught in a pattern of addiction or you're caught in a pattern of sin that you feel like you'll never break out of? 
Years and years and years have gone by. You'll have days or weeks, maybe even months of success, and then you stumble back into that area of addiction, that area of sin. You see, if you've hidden God's word in your heart, then you can hold on to John chapter eight, verse 32, when it says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You go, preacher, man, that doesn't seem like it connects. No, it does. You see, the reality of it is, is that our sin problems and our addiction problems are never the problem. They're the byproduct of the problem. They're the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is, is that we have believed something that is false. We've believed the lie about that area of sin. We've believed a lie about that thing that we're addicted to, that it will somehow, some way gratify or satisfy something that is inside of us, that God himself is the only one who can gratify and satisfy. And so if I hold to God's word that those things are not good for me, those things are not useful for me, there's nothing good for me to be found there, regardless of how gratifying it might feel for a moment, it's not worth the shame and the guilt and the conviction and the condemnation that's going to carry for weeks after. So I'm going to hold on to God's word and God's word is truth and his truth shall set me free that I don't have to do those things. I don't have to sin. I don't have to be addicted to those things. By the grace of God, empowered by the spirit of God, I can walk in freedom and the chains can fall. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things can become new. This is how we use the weapon of God in the various stuff in our, at various fights and things in our life. We've got to store it up in our hearts. And listen, I know that sometimes it's difficult not to, to know how to do this. And I know I probably sound like a broken record, but listen to me. Spiritually mature people experience more victory than spiritually immature people because when they get in the fight and they reach for a weapon, there's something for them to grab onto. And you won't be like me in my dream when I've got nothing. Listen, I know it can be complicated and difficult. How do I read my Bible? I try to open up and read it and I don't understand it. And I started reading in Genesis and then I got to some book where they talked about how many people had so many babies and generation after generation begot so-and-so. And I was like, what the heck? Listen, I feel that way when I read that part of the Bible. But I wanna help you. I want you to experience more victory. So listen, we have resources that are at the welcome tent. I don't want you to feel ashamed or embarrassed about this. If you do not know how to consistently open God's word and feel like you can confidently read it, confidently understand it, then please, please, please go to the welcome tent today. We have some resources that can teach you some basics on how to do this. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Listen, it's like when you go into a gym, you're getting ready to come into a new year. Some of y'all about to go to the gym more in the first 15 days of January than you've done since the last first 15 days of January. And you go to the equipment and you're looking at people, you know, doing snatches and doing all kinds of things. And you're, you end up being the person that ends up becoming a gym fail where they're using the, 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 the leg curler machine, but they've got their head on it and they're trying to strengthen their neck like this. Like, you don't know what you're doing. That's okay. You need somebody to help you so that you can become familiar with it. Because once you grow familiar with the process, then you can get stronger. I want to help you if you'll let me. 
A lot of you going to Right Now Media. If you don't know how to access that, it's free to you. It's the Netflix of Bible study. Go talk to the Welcome Tent. They can tell you how to do it. Find 10 minutes in your day, every day, no matter what, and jump in and begin to see what happens when you begin trained in the Word and you begin to understand how to use the weapon of the Word and see how it impacts the fights of your life. That's the first weapon. Here's the second weapon. The second weapon is prayer. Let's go back to Ephesians 6 and verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, is that, that we, we not only we can, but we ought to pray always for everything at any time. There's never a time where we can't pray. There's never a time we can't access God's word. There's not, never a time where we can't have divine access to the very, to the commander of the Lord's armies. When he says praying in the spirit, he's talking about praying in unity, that, that you're praying and looking for opportunities. God, would you help me be in line? Would you help me be in sync with your spirit? Help me know where your spirit is and help me get to where the spirit is so that I can be in alignment with what the spirit of God is doing that's consistent with the will of God, the ways of God and the word of God in my life. And what God wants us to understand is that, that what happens when we pray in these things, that prayer like this brings clarity to the will and the ways of God, what it is that God wants for me in each situation. And prayer also activates spiritual forces. Now I have to tell you, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know exactly know how it works. I don't believe anybody that tells you that they do, you need to like red flag. If anybody tells you they understand how prayer activates the forces of God, you need to be a little curious because it is a mysterious thing that God has not told us how it works. But somehow, some way, when followers of Jesus pray, God hears our prayers. And oftentimes, he will go into motion as activated by the faith of belief in him as evidenced by our prayers. Here's the problem. The prob excuse me. The problem is, is there's no way for us to know which prayers God's going to go into motion on and which prayers he's going to go, you know what? I'm using this. You need to continue to sit in it for a minute. The problem is, is a lot of people experience the, the, the lack of motion by God and they quit. Listen, he said, we need to pray at all times, always in every situation because there's no way for you to know. The situation that God's gonna go into motion, he's waiting for you to have the faith and the belief in him as evidenced by your prayer. Now, prayer doesn't always do that. Prayer doesn't always go into work like that. But I've just learned, don't, don't say no for God by lacking faith in God. Now, every other part of the armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six, he references it to uh, a Roman soldier, right? And I showed you a picture of that in week one and, and what that looked like. But prayer is the only weapon that's mentioned here that he doesn't equate to a part of the weaponry. And I believe it's because the technology did not exist 2000 years ago to create a proper metaphor to what prayer was. You see, prayer isn't like a sword or a dagger or an arrow. Prayer is like a guided missile, it can be launched from anywhere. It can hit anything and the enemy has no defense for it. Did you know that? Did you know the enemy has no defense? He has no defenses. He has no opposition to the prayers of the people that belong to God. And so when we pray, we can have confidence that God is at work 
A lot of times when I talk to people about prayer, I talk to a lot of Christians about prayer, the, the, the imagery that comes to mind is, is, well, I have a prayer closet. I find that a lot of people don't actually have a prayer closet, but they refer to a prayer closet. And I, well, tell me about your prayer closet. Well, I've got a lot of really fluffy pillows on the floor. I have some ambient lighting, some soft Christian music. No lyrics because I get caught up in worship instead of praying. I have my essential oils diffusing. You see, a lot of people equate prayer as a meditation. Nothing wrong with that. It's not wrong necessarily. But I have found that most people view prayer only in that way. And what I believe that God wants us to understand today is that there's a time for prayer like that, but there's also time just like in the physical combat where the troops are on the front lines and they're pinned down and they're overwhelmed and they jump on the radio. We need help. We need air support. Here's the, I'm popping smoke. All right, there's the smoke. Drop the bombs on the other side of the smoke. We need help. We need help. We need help. We're going to die. We need help. You see, when you are in the fights of life, it is okay for you to pray to God, call in the air support. And in those moments, watch what happens when God brings a supernatural sense of discernment, a supernatural sense of understanding, a supernatural wisdom that you didn't have five seconds ago. And sometimes it's gonna be blaringly obvious. It's gonna be the light that shines in the darkness. It's gonna be the sign blinking neon, go this way. And you're like, where's the sign? I can't see it. All I see is the bright flashing light that says, go this way. God, where are you? are you? But then there's going to be other times where it's going to be small, it's going to be subtle. And part of the training that the word does is it trains the ears of your soul to attune to the frequency of the spirit so that when everything is loud and noisy all around you, you can call out the air support through prayer and the spirit of God can whisper and your soul immediately recognizes his voice and you can say, yes, Lord, I'll go that way. You see, prayer is a weapon. It's a weapon that we can use. And we can know that God hears our prayers. When we do, we can have confidence in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your needs according to all of his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The third weapon, I want to, and we're gonna close. The third weapon that God has for us, this is the weapon that most people don't know about. Depending on how you were raised or trained in church, um, you, you might bristle at this, um, and that's okay. I'm just gonna take you to God's word and show you what God says. You can bristle at what I say, but I'm gonna show you what God says. And some of you um, are maybe familiar with this, but you don't know how to appropriate it. I'm gonna show you how. The third weapon in the arsenal of a believer in the fights of life, the first is the word, the second is prayer, and the third is worship. Did you know that worship is a weapon? I'm gonna prove it to you in Psalm 149. I'm gonna unpack some things very quickly. I'm gonna show you that there's some of the words that are translated into English that are the same word in English, but they're different Hebrew words. I wanna help you see how this works. Psalm 149, this is what it says. Praise the Lord. This word praise is the Hebrew word halal, which literally means to brag boastfully. Did you know it was okay to be boastful as long as what you're being boastful about is the work of the Lord in your life. Don't brag on yourself, but you can brag on Jesus all day long. 
He goes on to say, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Verse two, let Israel rejoice. This word rejoice means to be glad in your countenance. It means that there is a, there's something that's happening internally, a joy, a gladness that is on the inside that, that, that manifests itself externally in the countenance of your face, the countenance of your posture, the countenance of your, your attitude and how you show up to a situation. So he says, let Israel rejoice in their maker and let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. This Hebrew word is unique in this passage and what it means, it means to literally spin around. Now, some of you are going, I ain't doing that. I ain't going into my year in review with my boss. And when they are just telling me all the things I did wrong, I'm not gonna sit in that toilet chair going, woo! Okay, maybe you don't have to in that moment. He's simply illustrating different ways to worship. Verse three, let them praise his name with the dance. Can I just tell you that the literal translation of the Hebrew word that is translated here in English as dance literally means dance. For all of my Baptist brothers and sisters, it's okay to dance in the name of Jesus. Had to move your hips just a little bit, all right? Some of y'all need to have an Elvis-like revival on on how how to dance before the Lord. Notice he continues to say, he says, let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. This is, but the, the, the sing praises with the timbrel and the harp. He's saying literally use instruments and play instruments for all my church of Christ brothers and sisters. Instruments are a good thing. You can use instruments. God wants you to. It's right here in his word. Verse four, for the Lord takes pleasure. I want you to notice that. All of these things I've just described, the Lord takes pleasure in his people when they do these things. And he will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful. This is a unique Hebrew word that literally means jump for joy. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their bed. This word sing aloud literally means shout for joy. You put these two together and it's, it's what you would imagine at a Chiefs game. When Mahomes throws the deep ball to Kelsey and he rumbles and stumbles and bumbles for 45 yards with a game-winning touchdown against the Chargers. Chris, I'm sorry, but we won, you lost. It's just payback, y'all beat us the first time. And the next verse is the most important verse to help us understand how worship is a weapon because it says this in verse six, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. So all the things we've been talking about, let the high praises of God be exalted. Let it be the most important thing in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You see what God is doing is he is marrying, he's marrying worship and warfare together. They're not intended to be separate. It's not intended to see worship just as something that you only do at church, a thing you can only do when you're in the shower. That worship is supposed to be integrated with warfare 
as a weapon. And I wanna help you see why and I wanna help you see how because when we worship as we are in the fights, what it does is it, it changes the atmosphere in me and around me. When I worship, it reappropriates the eyes of my soul. It allows me to get elevation above the situation. It allows me to be reminded that my God and my King, He loves me. That I'm gonna have the victory in Christ Jesus. Worship enables the situation around me to change because there's something that happens when God's people have become fully aligned under his kingship, under his lordship, under his authority in the belief of who he is and what he's capable of over and over and over in the lives of the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament and the saints of people who were living, attempting to follow Jesus as best they can, that when we align ourselves, God delights in the praises of his people and he responds see what I love about the best worship music is that the best worship music will take an ancient truth recorded in God's word and put it to a melody so that you can carry it with you on a Tuesday you see somebody's going to go through something on Tuesday And you're going to feel that nobody sees, that nobody loves you, that you are no good. You've got nothing to offer. But worship will bring an ancient truth to help you remember that, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God chases me down fights till I'm found leaves the 99 I don't deserve it I couldn't earn it so you give yourself away why because of the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of God it's Tuesday and I feel alone but God I am reminded that I am not I feel alone in my marriage, but God, I know I'm not. God, I've done so many things and my family despises me and disowns me and I feel alone, but God, you chase me down and you fight until I'm found. God, I know that is a lie from the pit of hell. I am not alone. You are with me, God. Worship changes the perspective, reminds you of God's word. And it's so much more than just a song. It's so much more than music. It's a lifestyle that is lived, that is declaring with the decisions that you make, the things that you do, the places you go, how you spend your money, what you do with your kids and how you spend time with your spouse, the things you do when nobody's watching except for the Lord. Worship is a lifestyle that declares with consistency God, you are the most important thing in my life. And my physical carnal body will constantly make me believe that you are not 
enough, but I have trained my soul to be stronger than my body, to not believe in those lies. And God, I'm praying to you, God, would you lead me to a place of victory? Would you help me to see where you are, God, this area, this fight, this conflict? Lord, I'm praying that you would go before me in that, that you would change the heart of that person before I get there. And if you don't change the heart of that person before I get there, then God, would you, would you help me to have the confidence in who you are that I'll be okay in that fight no matter what they throw at me because my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And sometimes his provision is victory in changing a situation before you get there. And sometimes the victory is you knowing that hell can come crashing down all over you, but you stand on Jesus and you are okay. So as we close this series, my hope for you is that you would learn through these weapons, that you would learn through the things that we've talked about to apply them, to put them at work in your life so that you can see more victory in your life. You don't have to fight blind. If you are a follower of Jesus, you choose to fight blind. And you go into conflicts with your spouse and your kids and at work and your neighbor and social media and you go into the situations, the internal conflicts with just yourself, those areas of sin and, 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 and addiction and, and you bring all of your physical ability, your carnal ability, but they are weak and ineffective in these conflicts because these conflicts are not physical. Everything, everything, everything is spiritual. And the only weapons that work are spiritual weapons in spiritual fights. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I just tell you today that the greatest weapon that you could have is the weapon of your salvation. Because none of the things that I've talked about today or these last couple of weeks, if you do not know Jesus, they are all available to you but none of them are accessible to you. None of the things that we've been talking about become accessible to you until you become a child of God by faith that he loved you enough that he sent Jesus to die, that when you were at your worst, God sent his best. And that 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross to die a, die, die a death that you deserved, to give you a victory that you could never get on your own and experience a life that you don't deserve. And when he rose from the grave on the third day, he proved that he wasn't crazy, he wasn't just a lunatic and he wasn't a liar. When he rose from the third day, he proved that he was Lord and that he is the creator of your soul. He's the lover of your soul. He's the knower of your situation. And he doesn't care about any of the baggage you bring with him because he's the one that takes the baggage and says, it's mine now. Let me carry it. If you're tired and weak and worn out, come to me and I'll give you rest.
At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.